Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We live in a world where the definitions of words are changing very rapidly and, in fact, are sometimes left to each individual to determine for themselves. That's more than just a little unfortunate because the ultimate result of that would be complete confusion. Well, if a red light means stop for some and go for others... Well, you get the idea. The word hero is one of those that has undergone some radical revision of late. So to make sure that there's no confusion about what I mean when I use that term, here's the definition I'm using for that. And it's, uh, it's printed in your, in your sermon outline on page 4. It comes from an article titled Real American Heroes by Colonel Oliver North. He identifies two criteria for earning that designation. He says that heroes are people who put themselves at risk for the benefit of others. They are selfless. So you caught the two parts to that. Number one, a hero is is somebody who takes a risk, but secondly, somebody who does that not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of others. There's a picture that stays in my mind that I think illustrates that point perfectly. It's from the Saginaw News, taken a number of years ago. It was of servicemen preparing to be deployed to the Middle East during the Iraq War. The picture was of them going over their wills with legal advisors to make sure that all of their affairs were in order. It was a sobering reminder of the risk that these women and men take for our country and for us. They know that they might die in their service to us, and they have to prepare for that possibility. That makes them heroes. Our greatest hero, of course, is the one who did not just risk his life, but willingly sacrificed it. The one who knew not that he might have to die for us, but that he would have to do so and suffer the pangs of hell in the process. He did that all for us. So we might experience the freedom that that he talked about in our reading today. And I think especially freedom from our greatest fear, that is the fear of death. Talk about heroism. What people feared most, Jesus faced willingly. He attacked death by submitting to it. And then he defeated death by breaking the hold that it had on him. Heroes are people who put themselves at risk for the benefit of others. They are selfless. 
I'd say Jesus meets those qualifications. And then some. He above all others is worthy of our praise. He above all others we honor today. But he's not the only one. Jesus is our hero, singular, capital H. Today we also honor our heroes, plural. Those who have risked and sometimes sacrificed their lives for our country. Senator John McCain tells a story about the prisoner of war camp where he spent several years after being shot down during the Vietnamese War. I'm reading from that book. One of the men who moved into my cell in the camp was a young man named Mike Christian. The Vietnamese allowed some prisoners to receive packages from home. In some of these packages were handkerchiefs, scarves, and other items of clothing. Mike got himself a bamboo needle. Over a period of a couple months, he created an American flag and sewed it on the inside of his shirt. Every afternoon, we would hang Mike's shirt on the wall of the cell and say the Pledge of Allegiance. I know the pledge may not seem the most important part of our day now, but I can assure you that in that stark cell, it was indeed a most important and meaningful event. One day, the Vietnamese searched our cell as they did periodically and discovered Mike's shirt with the flag sewn inside and removed it. That evening, they returned, opened the door to the cell, and for the benefit of all of us, beat Mike Christian severely for the next couple hours. Then they opened the door of the cell and threw him in. We cleaned him up as well as we could. After the excitement died down, I looked in the corner of the room, and sitting there beneath a dim light bulb with a piece of red cloth, another shirt, and his bamboo needle was my friend Mike Christian. He was sitting there with his eyes almost shut from the beating he had received, making another American flag. Now here's the key to all of this. He was not making the flag because it made him feel better. He was making that flag because he knew how important it was to us to be able to pledge allegiance to our flag and our country. Heroes are people who put themselves at risk for the benefit of others. They are selfless. Which brings us to the final point in our sermon outline. Can we decide to be among those who have a selfless approach to life? Are we willing to put some part of ourselves, some part of our lives at risk for what we believe in? In other words, can we pledge to be heroes ourselves? Now, one thing about heroes, they rarely set out to become one or would even identify themselves as such. So if you don't think that that you've got what it takes to be a hero, you're in good company. Newsman Tom Brokaw has spent a fair amount of time with war heroes, and in a foreword to a book about those who have been awarded the Medal of Honor, he says, they have an enduring humility about their heroic acts. They represent the fundamental fabric of America and make me proud that we're fellow citizens. In that same book, John McCain says, 
you will be awed, as I am, not only by their courage and character, but by the country that produced such men, and that was ennobled by the example they set for the rest of us. What they're both saying is that ordinary people become heroes when they act in a way that is truly American. What they're saying is that these heroes can inspire each of us to act heroically, selflessly, taking a risk for the benefit of others, to display the kind of courage, commitment, and character demonstrated by our American heroes. That's what they're saying. I happen to agree with that. It's part of being American. But we need to take it a step further, don't we? Consider some of the implications of being Christian, of being inspired by our hero, by his sacrificial death, and also by his praiseworthy life. Christianity is not just about knowing that we're going to live with Jesus after we die. It's also about showing our love for Jesus before we die. Living our lives in his name, to his glory, in a way that truly honors him. Did you do that this past week? Did your conduct at at work or at home honor our hero? Did it express your, your deep and genuine gratitude for the Savior's sacrifice? Or did it demonstrate something else? Now, we could give all kinds of examples today of, of ways that we have failed to honor our hero, and we could also come up with, with ways that we can do that in the future. Today, I think it makes sense for us to talk about just one, and that is our response to the Supreme Court's ruling that same-sex marriage is legal in all 50 states. By the way, two weeks ago, I thought this sermon was all done, ready to go, and then I decided I needed to change it. I didn't want to, not because it takes a little extra work, but because it's a difficult subject, and certainly not an uplifting one. In fact, on Facebook, I don't know why you people read that, but I go on there every once in a while. On Facebook this past week, there was a post from a a lady from a Detroit area church who I think it was either Sunday afternoon or or Monday, said, I dreaded going to church today. Boy, we don't want that, do we? She said, I dreaded going to church today because I knew my pastor was going to talk about this subject. And that's not why we go to church. We go to church to worship the Savior, to sing his praise, to be assured once again of his love for us. And that always has to take center place. Now, she also said that she afterwards was very happy that she went that day because of the words that her pastor had to speak. 
I should have asked her for that sermon. <laughs> but I've got some thoughts of my own that I'm going to share. And maybe that's taking a risk. And I realize that taking a risk is not always heroic. Sometimes it's just foolish. Well, I'm not heroic. And I'm praying that you don't think I'm foolish. But the question is, how should the Christian respond to the recent Supreme Court ruling? Now, that could be a whole sermon or five sermons all on its own. I'm going to try to be pretty briefly just summarize it using three R's. The first R is repent. And I don't mean tell other people to repent. I mean ourselves. To repent. We need to repent, not just to call our nation or our Supreme Court to repentance. We need to repent of our own attitudes towards sex and sexuality, as well as our attitudes and actions towards those who have opposing, even anti-scriptural views. Because sometimes what those who aren't Christian say about those who are is true. Sometimes we act hypocritically. Sometimes we're closed-minded, unkind, intolerant. Now we could come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses for that. But what we need to do is to repent of it. In addition, we need to repent of any of our own actions that have undermined the institution of marriage or that have been contrary to the will of God in this whole arena of sexuality because this slide into wherever we are now with regards to marriage didn't just start. And sometimes Christians have contributed to that instead of slowing down that slide. Maybe by the websites that Christians sometimes visit, the movies, the uh, cable channels that, that sometimes Christians watch. We need to repent. The second R is we need to respond. Gently, yet firmly. We need to respond to two things, in my estimation. The first is the way our society is fixated on sex. Now, on the one hand, I get that. It's a very powerful part of who we are. On the other hand, it's only a part. And it's not even the most important part. I'm not just saying that because I'm 60 years old now. I would have said that 20 years or 30 years or 40 years ago as well. So our response to a culture that is fixated on sex is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our identity is in him. Sex is a part of who we are, but it does not define us. Jesus does. And the second thing we respond to is everything that's swirling around us now. 
And the best response for that is, is to hold out and to hold up for all to see God's plan for marriage as the absolute ideal. One man, one woman for life. A wife and a husband who love and respect one another and who, when it is God's will, have and raise children together and who teach those children about their creator and his love for them. Now, I know that's the ideal, and, and oftentimes we fall far short of that. Oftentimes that's, that's ideal, but it's not the reality. But just because we don't hit a target doesn't mean we quit aiming at it or that we move it closer to us to make it easier. And then the third R, after we repent and respond, and this might sound a little flippant, I don't mean it to, but I absolutely believe this. After we repent and after we, after we respond, then we relax. God is still in control. Jesus promised us that the gates of hell themselves will not prevail against his church. He is still with us. will never leave us or forsake us. So that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And I think that's a good way to end this sermon. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.